Dear Lord Jesus, it's been a good week. It's been good to be together in this place, learning from our history as Adventists, as well as some more current events. And we just once again invite your presence here in a very special way. Please, Lord, help them not to see me, but only you, that they will hear your message today as we look through uh, the various documents that we will see today. And um, Lord, inspire each one of us for what you would have us to do. And thank you so much for the gift of prophecy that you've given to this church through the ministry and gift of Ellen White. We pray in your name, amen. Okay, so Ellen G. White, she was indeed called by God at a very young age, really, 17. And while she never herself identified herself as a prophet, she called herself the messenger of the Lord, which she surely was. Was Ellen White the first woman that God ever called to be a prophet? No. Who just shout out a name of another prophetess? Deborah, yes. Huldah, Anna. There are many women that God throughout history has called to the special ministry of being a prophet for him. Now, Ellen White did a magnificent work while she was alive, and her writings continue to do a wonderful work. You know, one time she was asked, maybe more than once, if there would be another prophet after she passed away. And she said that the Lord had not revealed that to her. But then she turned to the cabinet where her writings were. This was in Elmshaven. And she said, after I'm gone, these will bear witness for me. And they, they truly are uh, still very much alive. God's message is for us through his messenger, prophet Ellen White. Now, claims have been made that Ellen White was an ordained minister. Has anyone heard this, that Ellen White was an ordained minister? Let's look and see if there's any evidence for this. Well, it's true that we have a number of certificates. The Ellen White estate has a number of certificates that have survived. These are paper certificates, actual certificates of ordination. And what you can see here is the first one that we have on file for uh, Mrs. White. And this one, this is the first one, and it is from 1883. But there's more. This is the second one. Uh, interestingly, this is um, from both of these first ones are from the Michigan Conference. And then we have one uh, from the General Conference. This one is interesting. Notice in the first two, can you see where it says ordained ministry? 
Ordained is not crossed out in the first one or the second one from Michigan. Then we have this one from the General Conference. It's crossed out, interestingly enough. Well, here's some more. This one is not crossed out. In fact, from then on, these certificates uh, of ministerial credentials were granted by the General Conference to Mrs. White. You can see that uh, by this time, uh, the format of the certificate, or the credential rather, had changed. And uh, this is the last one that we have on file at the White Estate. It was given uh, in 1913, June 12, 1913, and uh, as we know, Mrs. White died just two years later in 1915. So, clearly, she was given the, or the credentials of an ordained minister. The question is, why was she given these ordination credentials of an ordained minister? Does it mean that she was ordained? I mean, for some people, it seems proof. Well, see, here is her ordination credential that shows she is an ordained minister. That means she, she was ordained. What do you think? Does this prove that Ellen White was ordained as a gospel minister? No. Well, let's see what the White Estate says about this. Very interesting. And you can find this, by the way, on the White Estate, uh, White Estate website. Just go to Ellen G. White or White Estate. They actually have a number of URLs where you can look at all these documents that I am showing you today. And they have a whole section about, it's called uh, Ellen, Ellen White and Ordination and her slash credentials. And it will tell you everything that I'm about to show you here. The first item that they talk about is Ellen White's biographical information form. So the General Conference still does this today. You can see on the left, here is her biographical form. And those of us who work at the General Conference, or if you go as a missionary, you have to fill out a biographical form. It, it asks your history and so on and so forth. So this was not unusual that Ellen White would have this biographical form. And um, you cannot see it here, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah, it's not big enough, but on this form, and you can come see this afterward if you would like, <laughs> on this form, it asks, have you ever been ordained? If so, when and where? And there is an X on that blank, on her biographical form, meaning that she was never ordained. And then, going further down the form, it asks if you've been widowed, have you remarried? And there's another X. And of course, we know that Ellen White 
never remarried. And so we know from this biographical form that Ellen White was not ordained and she never remarried. But still, what about these ordination credentials or ordained minister credentials? We'll talk about that some more in just a minute, but let's see what else the White Estate has to show us. The second item that has to deal with Ellen White's credentials, it's the conference credentialing records. And uh, it says, Ellen White's name is not found in list of Michigan Conference credentialed ministers prior to 1871. And then it gives an example. She was first issued ministerial credentials on February 10, 1871, by the Michigan Conference, right here in Michigan. And we have record of that. It was published in the Review and Herald. And remember, the Review and Herald kept the official records. They published the official records. We talked about that when we were talking about the 1881 General Conference session. So this is what was published in the Review and Herald, February 14, 1871. Moved and voted that Sister Ellen G. White received credentials from this conference. So we have a committee action there that she was to receive her credentials. Her credentials were renewed by the Michigan Conference annually thereafter through 1887. The 1886 report was introduced with these words, quote, your committee on credentials and licenses would present the following names of ordained ministers for a renewal of their credentials the ensuing year. So it's clearly indicated that the committee acted to grant her credentials. And this is recorded again in the Review and Herald. Then, of course, number three that the Ellen White estate uh, lists regarding her, uh, her credentials, the listings in the Seventh-day Adventist yearbook and the GC Bulletin. The first listing of ministers in the Seventh-day Adventist yearbook was in 1884. Ellen White was listed under both General Conference ministers and Michigan ministers. The listings appeared the same in 1885, 1886, and 1887. In 1888, she was listed under California. Remember, there was a California conference at that time, just for the entire state. Under California ministers, as well as under Michigan ministers and general field ministers. And by the way, the reason she was listed under California at that time was she was living in Healdsburg, California. Uh, that's where Healdsburg College was started uh, in 1882, and it later became Pacific Union College. She was also listed under ministers, not licentiates, in the alphabetical list of laborers. Okay. Beginning in 1889, all the workers were listed alphabetically, as well as by territory, with letter codes inserted to indicate whether the worker was 
license. Notice there's an L. So if an L appeared by the person's name, it meant that they were licensed to preach, or an M, which meant they were an ordained minister. Ellen White was listed under general conference ministers only, not Michigan or California, and an M appeared after her name in the directory. She was listed the same way from 1890 to 1894. No yearbooks were published from 1895 to 1903, however. However, workers' directories were published in the General Conference Bulletin, and of course her name was listed there in uh, the General Conference Bulletin. And then number four that the White Estate list is Ellen White's paper credentials, and I showed you the pictures. Here are the dates of each of those, October 1, 1883, September 27, 1885, December 6, 1885, that's the one where the word ordained is crossed out, December 27, 1887, March 7, 1899, June 14, 1909, and June 12, 1913. So, what does this mean? What can we gather from this? From looking at this, I mean, she had the credentials of an ordained minister. She was listed in the yearbook, in the General Conference Bulletin, as an ordained minister. So what does it mean? Well, place yourself back in that time. Let's say that you were sitting on the General Conference Committee and there was a prophet, and you believed Ellen White was a prophet. And remember, the purpose of credentials is to show that that person is backed by the church, that what this person says rightly represents the Seventh-day Adventist church. What are you going to do with Ellen White, a prophet? Okay, let's... Uh, think about that for a moment, and our microphone is here. Just raise your hand. What would you do with Ellen White? I mean, w would you give her a credential? Does she need a credential? What, what would you do if you were part of the General Conference Committee? What would you do with Ellen White? Okay, there's someone back there. I would make her an ordained minister, because uh, um, we've been Adventists for years. My grandma was an Adventist, and Sister White had stayed at her house up in Bear Lake, Michigan, back in the early 1900s, going to the Alkires to open the church school. So we go back a long time, and my daughter is a or is ordained elder at the Monroe Church, Monroe, Michigan Church. Her name is George Turner, and that makes me feel really good. So, uh, yes, I want to make an ordained minister. That's the way I feel. Thank you. Okay, so you would, or would you just give her the credentials of an ordained minister, or would you actually lay hands on her and ordain her? I would lay hands on her and ordain her, yes. Okay. I'm, I am an elder myself, so, yes. Okay, Thank so you. you would lay hands on her and ordain her. Okay, go ahead. Um, well, that would be very interesting because that would be exactly opposite of what she was shown in vision. 
that she was shown in the Gospel Order vision that only the husband of one wife was to be ordained as a minister. So even if you wanted to ordain her, to lay hands on her, I don't think she would allow it because it was against what she was shown in vision, in the Gospel Order visions in the 1850s, and it would be against the Bible. So, but still, what are you going to do if you have a prophet? Well, Ellen White was ordained, but not by man. We have statements where she says she was ordained by God, and she was ordained by God for a very special ministry. And the special ministry that Ellen White was ordained to was the ministry of a prophet. No one else that I know of in the last few hundred years has been ordained by God to this special ministry except Ellen White, who was ordained as a prophet. Not only that, but let's see what else the White Estate says about her credentials. There is a statement by the Ellen G. White family. It's a letter written on November 17, 1935. And in this statement it says, Sister White was never ordained. She never baptized, nor did she ever give the ordination charge to others. And you can see uh, this letter is available online at the White Estate. And we also have a copy of this letter in our book. It's a very interesting letter, actually. It was um, written, it's right here, Appendix 4 in the book, uh, written November 17, 1935, to Elder L.E. Froome. And it was written on behalf of Willie White. And uh, Willie White is the one who said, Sister White was never ordained. She never baptized, nor did she ever give the ordination charge to others. And as we know, Willie White traveled with his mother constantly. Uh, even as a baby, she would put him, there are stories of putting him in a little cradle under the pulpit, and she would rock him with her foot while she was preaching. So, of course, uh, after uh, James White died, Willie White constantly uh, traveled with his mother. So I think that he would know if she had ever been ordained or if she had ever baptized or ever given an ordination charge to others. And he said she did not. Okay, so again, you can see all of this on the website of the White Estate. And of course, you know, when people are looking for something, you can always take what is out there. I mean, at first glance, you look at her ordination, at the credentials of an ordained minister, and say, oh, she must have been ordained. But keep in mind, there's no record of any ordination service. And if anyone would have had an ordination service, it would have been Ellen White. 
but there's no record of any service. And then we have this testimony of her son, Willie, who constantly traveled with her. So the church, going back to what would you do if you were in the General Conference Committee, this woman was clearly called by God. He was ordained by God to be his prophet. And the only credential that you can give her, I mean, our church doesn't have a prophet credential, right? I mean, if we had a prophet credential, surely it would have been given to her. And she certainly needed to have some kind of credential. So they gave her what they had, and that was the ordained minister credential. So that's why she had this. And uh, again, the white estate is very, very clear that she was never ordained by human hands. So if you hear she was ordained, you can respond, well, the white estate says she was not ever ordained by human hands. So let's move on to some of these other Ellen White quotes. What did Ellen White say about women in ministry? Because some of these quotes, at least when we hear parts of them, it sounds like surely she was saying that women ought to be ordained. Let's look at them in context. Okay, let's read this one. Women who are willing to consecrate some of their time to the service of the Lord should be, and then often the next part is left out, should be set apart to this work by prayer and laying on of hands. How many of you have seen that quote? Okay, let's look at the context. Let's look at the rest of that quote. Women who are willing to consecrate some of their time to the service of the Lord should be appointed to visit the sick, look after the young, and minister to the necessities of the poor. They should be set apart to this work by prayer and laying on of hands. What work should they be set apart to by the laying on of hands? To visit the sick, look after the young, and minister to the necessity of the poor. Let's keep reading. This is the same quote. In some cases, they will need to counsel with the church officers or the minister. But if they are devoted women, maintaining a vital connection with God, they will be a power for good in the church. This is another means of strengthening and building up the church. Continuing on, we need to branch out more in our methods of labor. Not a hand should be bound, not a soul discouraged, not a voice should be hushed. Let every individual labor, privately or publicly, to help forward this grand work. Place the burdens upon men and women of the church that they may grow by reason of the exercise and thus become effective agents in the hand of the Lord for the enlightenment of those who sit in darkness. This comes from an article written by Ellen White called The Duty of the Minister and the People, published in Review and Herald, July 9, 1895, and you'll find it in paragraph 8. So let's notice a few things about this quote. Number one, 
this ministry that she's referring to is part-time. It's part-time. Women who can devote some of their time, not all of their time, not full-time, it says, some of their time. Number two, the work is something other than what the church was already doing. Because she said, you see, already the church had full-time gospel ministers. And she writes, this is another means of strengthening and building up the church. We need to branch out more in our methods of labor. So we need to branch out more from what we have already been doing. So this is something new, apparently. Number three, it may not even involve holding a church office. This, this woman may not even need to be a deaconess or, or hold any church office. How do we know that? Let's look again at that quote. It says, the woman should be appointed to visit the sick. doesn't say she should be voted to visit the sick. It says she should be appointed. Secondly, it says, sometimes these women, and then quote, will need to counsel with the church officers or minister. So clearly, she's not the minister and may not even be a church officer because she needs to counsel with them. So this is one example, just one example of some of the quotes that are used to say that women, that, that Ellen White supported women to be gospel ministers, that they should be ordained. Now, what about some of the other quotes, like pastors to the flock, right? Pastors. Do you know, again, when Ellen White was writing that pastors, the word pastor, did not always mean what we think of as a pastor today, especially a settled pastor. In fact, she uses the word minister to describe a gospel minister. And the, the statistics are very interesting on that. It's 30 to 1. She uses the term minister 30 times as compared to the word pastor. The word minister denotes an ordained gospel minister. A pastor is someone, and it could be a man or a woman, who is looking after the flock in, in that church. Because back then, the ministers would often travel from church to church. And it was the lay people or the local church leaders who would look after the day-to-day -day care of the local church. Also, if you look, and we don't have time to look at, at all of these quotes, but if you, you go into the Ellen White site and you look at the context, she's often talking about cull porters, or she's talking about the wives of pastors. Okay, this is what she's talking about. And, of course, there were times where women could do a better work than a man. Especially, and there were cases like this, where the man, even if he were a minister, may not have been fully consecrated to the Lord. And in that case, 
God would use a woman to do that work. In fact, Ellen White herself is an example of this. Uh, Probably most of you know the story that God first called two men before he called a woman. So, what are we to do with all of this? Well, it is... It is sad to see how, over the years, um, this is an issue that has become more and more divisive in our church. It makes me very sad to see that, and I'm sure it makes you sad to see that too. I think a good start is to, again, go back, look at the Bible. We can take the Bible as it reads. Every word is important. Every verse. I'm not saying that God dictated the Bible. We don't believe in verbal inspiration where the person was just writing word for word God's dictations. No, we are told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit inspired scripture and that godly men were moved and they wrote. Just the same with Ellen White. God did not dictate exactly what she had to write in all of her writings. She was given visions and messages and dreams, and then she communicated those in human language. But it would be so good for us to go back and look at the Bible, uh, especially what's called the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy and to Titus. There's some very good instruction. And in fact, going back to the gospel order visions, and that's why I keep coming back to that, because if you recall when we first started this adventure together this week on Sunday, we talked about gospel order and how it all started. They were looking for a way to credential workers in the church. God gave Ellen White these visions and you might remember how it paralleled, how there was a point from her vision and a scripture point, and how it matched beautifully. I think we would do so well to go back and just study that out. And I encourage you to do that. Go to early writings or do a search on the app under Gospel Order and read what Ellen White wrote about gospel order. Look up the Bible text and see how it fits so neatly with her visions of gospel order. It's a wonderful package. So firstly, let's go back, read the Bible, read the spirit of prophecy, and see what they have to tell us. Next, let's consider reviving what Ellen White talked about, about a woman ministry. And the prime example of that was SMI Henry, who we talked about yesterday, a powerful preacher, a woman who spoke to thousands. And of course, some of the other licensed ministers that we've talked about this week. God does indeed call women to preach his word. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. There's nothing unbiblical about that. God calls men and women to preach his word. 
And SMI Henry was such a beautiful example of that because not only did she preach, but she also took a special interest in what was called a woman's ministry. And that was with a particular focus on the home, on family, on helping other women with their problems. You remember when she spoke to the thousands of people in uh, British Columbia, her two talks. One was, what, was, what is the worth of the boy? And of, of course, I'm sure she also included girls in that, but it's about a, a child. What is the worth of a child? And secondly, it was about why do children of the faith leave? So very practical messages having to do with the home, with family, with children. I would love to see this kind of biblical ministry of women revived again. Even licensed ministers. I would love to see women be licensed to preach again. And we talked about that earlier this week. Thirdly, I would caution when we see claims made such as that Ellen White was ordained or that Ellen White said that women should or could be ordained, to wonder, did she really? Did she really say that? And to look it up for ourselves, to look up the full context of that and to see what was she talking about. And if she believed that women should be ordained, why was she not ordained herself? And to think and pray about that. You know, there is, unfortunately, there is misinformation out there, and we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We need to examine things carefully and to test it by Scripture. One of the bits of misinformation that's out there that I will just uh, touch on very briefly, and that is that if you do not support women's ordination, or that women should be ordained to the gospel ministry, well, you are headed right into anti-Trinitarianism. Has anyone heard that? There's even been a new term coined, something about neo-subordinationism or, or something like that. It's a, a new term coined recently. It's kind of a neat little label that can be put on people who believe that the Bible teaches that only men are called to be ordained to the gospel ministry. But that is so far from the truth. That is just so far from the truth. Do we have a problem in our church with anti-Trinitarianism? Yes, we do. We do. We do have people who are teaching and preaching that the Trinity is heresy. That's a problem. Secondly, the people who are teaching and preaching this, are they, do they generally tend to be theologically conservative? Yes. Yes, they, they usually are. Thirdly, are these people usually against women's ordination? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true. But it is a fallacy to equate that just because they don't believe women should be ordained to the gospel ministry, that they are anti-Trinitarian, that that's the reason. That's just not the case. I would say that the vast, vast majority of us who believe that the Bible teaches that only men should be ordained to the gospel ministry, the vast majority of us heartily believe in the Trinity. I can say with no doubt, with no question at all, that God is three. There is the Father, there is the Son, and there is the Holy Spirit. They are all equal. They are all God. They have different roles. We see that clearly at the baptism of Jesus. God the Father speaking. God the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove. And Jesus as the God-slash-man being baptized. But they are all God. They are all equal. Okay? And I would dare say that everyone in this room believes the same. If you believe in the Trinity, would you raise your hand? That's right. That's right. And I would say probably many of you in this room also believe that the Bible teaches that men should be ordained to the gospel ministry. So whenever you hear this, you can ask them, what do you mean by subordination? And when they tell you, I can guarantee it's not what you believe, it's not what I believe, because we believe clearly in the Trinity, in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are equal. They are one. They are God. So let's be clear on that. We are biblical. And finally, in the time left, I have a special call I want to make. And I want you to think and pray about it. It's been a wonderful week together as we have gone through the history of the early pioneers looking at how specifically credentialing came into being. We've looked at gospel order. We've looked at what happened in 1881. We've looked at some examples of licensed ministers. And we've looked at Ellen White. So given all of this, I'm wondering, is there anyone here who's learned something new that you didn't know before along any of these lines? And I praise God for that. I praise God. The second thing is a call that I want to make, something, um, a burden that's on my heart. You know, it hasn't been easy to share these things with you because for those of us who are brave enough to say what I've been saying, particularly today, sometimes we are marginalized. Sometimes 
we are just told we don't know what we're talking about or that we are misogynists and that we're trying to keep women back from ministry. And that's not true. That's not true. I can tell you, as a young child, I felt called to minister for Jesus. When I was really little, I would go to my friend's house, and uh, her, her daddy smoked. And I remember talking to her daddy and saying, you know, Mr. Noe, it's not good for you to smoke. It will hurt you. I don't want you to die. Please stop smoking. And I would talk to him. He would speak to my grandmother. Do you know that, Gina? She's talking to me about smoking. And he quit. Praise the Lord. I remember going door to door, loving, knocking on the door, saying, hi, here's something for you. And it was a Bible lesson. Early on, I would be asked to tell mission stories to other children. And after a while, I was even asked to preach and to share my testimony. And I've had the privilege of preaching in many different places around the world. How can I keep silent when I see how much the Lord has done for me? If you knew the kind of home I came from, if, if you knew, it's amazing. Like I was a brand plucked from the burning. God took me, and he's using me. And it's not because of me. It's because of our great God that he's given me a message to share. I love his word. I love sharing his word. And as long as the Lord continues to open the doors, I will continue sharing his word. When I was a student back at Pacific Union College, way back in the day, um, <laughs> dare I say how early, I think this happened in 1983. And I was active in, in campus ministry and things like that. And one day, someone on the church staff, or maybe it was the campus chaplain, I don't remember who exactly, but, but somebody approached me, and they said, you know, we'd like to ordain some student elders. And we've been watching you, and we would like to ordain you as a woman elder in the PUC church. This is 1983. And I thought, you know, I was flattered. I thought, wow, they, they recognize that I'm active, that I love the Lord, that I'm doing things. Um, sure, ordain me. I, I'd be honored for you to ordain me. And so I remember that Sabbath, uh, I went up with several other uh, women students, and um, I think there must have been some guys there too, but I was in the group of, of lady students, and we knelt down, and we were ordained as elders at the Pacific Union College Church. And that was that. Uh, no one ever talked to us anymore about what it meant to be an elder. Uh, no one asked us to do anything uh, it was just a ceremony, and it was over. And um, I didn't know a whole lot then about what it meant, really, to be an elder and who God calls 
to be an elder. I didn't understand it at that time. But over the years, as I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've studied, uh, I wrote this book along with my husband who did the research. And um, I, I just, uh, looking at the evidence, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. And uh, I believe God has called me to take a public stand on that. And so that's why I'm here today. And so my call to you is this. If you are convicted in your heart that the Lord is calling you to woman ministry, maybe he's calling you to preach. Maybe he's calling you to be an evangelist. Maybe he's calling you to help other women in your church. I don't know how the Lord is impressing you. But this is the call. If you believe Lord is, the Lord is calling you to a woman ministry, as has been described this week, I invite you to stand up with me right now. And I'd like to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you because you have invited us to come to you. You want all of us to be a minister for you, to minister to others, to reach out to others. And Lord, you have a special, special ministry for women. There's no doubt about that. And I thank you for each lady today who has stood to her feet saying, God, I recognize your call, that you are calling me to be a woman for you, a woman who can perform through your grace, through your strength, a woman ministry a biblical woman ministry. And Lord, I don't know what you have in mind for each of the ladies here, but I know that you will show them what you have for them. Please bless them, empower them in their ministry for you. And Lord, may, be, may we all be faithful to you until we see you and the other people that you have given us a privilege to share your message with as we are all gathered together in the clouds to go home with you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.